welcome back to another Ruby Dev Summit. I'm Charles Maxwood. I am here with Rich Steinmetz. Rich, do you want to say hello? Hey, everyone. What's up? Yeah, now, Rich, we've had you on the Ruby Rogues podcast. Uh, you've, uh, you have a blog out there that people can go check out and stuff like that. And anyway, I'm excited to have you on, uh, kind of get your perspective. I, I think you've got a little bit different frame, I guess, to come from, from a lot of the other people that I've interviewed. And so, yeah, let, let's just get right to it and ask you, what is the future of Ruby? Sure, sure. Yeah, thanks for, for the invite. I brought two perspectives, actually, with me today. And one perspective is more about uh, Ruby Rails community in general. Mm -hmm. And the other one is the thing that I'm doing for years now is helping uh, companies with public APIs. So a lot of businesses who started with Rails, at some point they see that, hey, we need an API. And where is all this going? And like, what's the future there? What's the present, actually? Right. So, um, so yeah, so let's start with Ruby on Ruby Rails community stuff. Right. So, you know how there's always this talk and weird talk about like Ruby being dead and Rails being dead. Mm -hmm. But if you look at the recent years, I'm seeing an upwards trend for sure, mm -hmm. uh, be it with Ruby or Rails. Um, Ruby's in very active development. Rails 8 is coming out. And mm -hmm. Rails, especially Rails, um, is a very interesting one. So they are innovating. They are creating new things all the time. And there's actually, I'm not seeing a reason why at some point Rails wouldn't be, uh, wouldn't have like a more of a, rebirth let's say right um because the, the, all the hype cycles they come and go uh, at some point mm -hmm. python and like some of the python frameworks no one really talked about them they somehow right. managed to get into like, academia and then the hype began um right but, well yeah, it wasn't just academia but it was then that people who were doing the data science that backed up things like uh, machine learning. Yeah. that That's where and it came into vogue is all those tools were then written in Python. Right. And most of them begin in academia. All those mm -hmm. yep. Google engineers and whoever uses it in production, they all yep. have like big degrees and stuff like that. And yep. Yep. that's... Exactly. It's kind of connected as well, and then the big enterprises like jumped on it, and of course, yeah. that made it, made it very big. And Rails, I mean, and Ruby, um, th there's no reason why there wouldn't be some other thing happening that would start a new new direction for for both. Something like uh -huh. Turbo, for example. Um, yeah, maybe it will shift the mindset of people and as more and more people become kind of on their own, you know, or making things, you know, a lot of people right. just make their own thing on social media. They make their own thing as developers. They want to ship something, create something. And um, mm -hmm. maybe this is the perfect tool for exactly this. You know? Yeah, I, I think there's a lot to that. And 
I've talked to some people, especially in some of these tools like uh, machine learning and AI, where some people like uh, I talked to Alex Rudolph, who's the guy who's behind the OpenAI gem, right? Mm -hmm. So he's not building engines, right? AI engines in Ruby. But um, what he's doing instead is he's connecting to some of the engines that already exist from OpenAI and talking about the future of Ruby that way, which... I mean, connecting to an AI service to me is like connecting to a database, right? So who cares what that's written mm -hmm. in? Um, yeah. And then uh, we've also talked to uh, Alexi, is it, no, Andre, Andre Bondrov, uh, you know, and he's doing stuff with like Langchain and stuff like that, which is build your own model. But again, it's, you know, using a third-party tool. I don't know what Langchain's written in either. I think it's Python with some Go mm -hmm. or something in it. So... Yeah. Right. So so then Ruby becomes, hey, I'm going to write my app in Ruby and I don't have to, since I'm not building or managing the the logical pieces of putting together an engine, right? I can connect to that stuff. Yeah. So then it's what experience, what dev experience do I want? Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. And yeah, Python's pretty big on this. So mm -hmm. when I played around with Langchain and stuff like that, I think there was a Python and a JavaScript version that were mm -hmm. officially supported by the creator. Um, and then there is this separate version of, uh, of Ruby, basically. And I was really tempted to actually pick the Ruby one. Mm -hmm. But in the end, I wanted to move fast and secure. And then I, I did take uh, Python. But yeah, Langchain yeah. is also developing and um, becoming better. In, in the Ruby world as well. So who knows yeah, which other branches will open up? Yeah. I don't know, like child education or uh, you know school education. Mm -hmm. Maybe we'll get Ruby in there somehow. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, who knows? I mean, it, it's funny because the these things kind of work out in odd ways, it seems, where, you know, for whatever reason, academia in one area picked up python and it kind of spread everywhere or mm. right and then it spread into this stuff right instead of people going oh well i needed to solve these problems and so what language am i going to pick that's going to have whatever characteristics i want it was mm. they just went with they knew and right you you see this with javascript kind of seeping into other areas where it's well this is a language that i know and like and so i i'm going to use it to write embedded systems, which it was never really intended to do, right? Um, and so, you know, you it's it's really interesting how that goes. And yeah, it definitely could go to that place. You know, Ruby and Ruby on Rails, the, the way it took off was in the early 2000s, people picked it up and started using it to build their startups because the speed of development and the user, the developer experience were amazing. And you could get something off the ground and working Pretty quickly. And then, yeah, some some companies, they realized that certain parts of their application didn't quite fit the performance characteristics that Ruby had at the time. And so they pulled in other stuff. But these days, I, I don't see that as much of an issue. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, we may see, see a resurgence for some of those same reasons or maybe in a completely different area. Right, right, right. And still the, the speed on which you perform mm -hmm. when you start something new in Rails, it's just uncomparable I and mean, playing with a lot of different tools um, and having also to do with other technologies from mm -hmm. time to time professionally and 
it's just I'm always amazed like how I have to write things by hand and I'm completely not used to this because it's all there in the rails. Um, right. So yeah, it's, it's still a biggie. And performance-wise, yeah, we have evidence that it works. And a lot of mm -hmm. performance issues are also, like the bottlenecks are actually not Rails Ruby. It's a lot of times uh, database, mm -hmm. how, you, how you deal with, how you write your Rails. Um, right. And what database queries it results in mm -hmm. and the size of your database. And then the other right. ones, of course, at the browser, like how do you display things? And yeah, like that. Yeah, but even the story there is getting better. I mean, you mentioned Rails eight, and there's all kinds of stuff mm -hmm. coming in Rails eight that makes that better. Yeah, yeah. I checked out the the Ruby Ruby three point three release that uh -huh. uh, is very recent. I was wondering, like, what's going on with Ruby? What's the plan there? Do you have any information about this? Because I didn't see any too too exciting stuff. The right. Ruby pre-launch itself back some years ago that was a big one it was like it didn't introduce new concepts right um, the update this year was pretty like low low note i don't know where it goes uh right. actually the, the ruby itself like have you so, yeah so um from the interviews that i've done here are some of the highlights. So I talked to um, Yuta Saito, and he does like Ruby Wasm. And so that's Ruby basically running its engine on, on a Wasm, you know. Mm -hmm. And so there, there are some really interesting things going there as far as like core C Ruby, because I also talked to like Elias Quito for the summit and about Opal, which is running into the browser. Mm -hmm. um the ones that were really interesting there and i'm still trying to find somebody to talk about prism which is the new parser and so that mm -hmm. parser make it affects tooling but it also enables people who are writing some of these other ruby interpreter ish things um to really take heavy advantage of having a parser that's flexible and tells you in a more convenient way where the problems are but also has the speed characteristics that you want because those speed characteristics speed up ruby um Another one that if you're if you're interested in like Ruby performance that you may want to listen to is Jeremy Evans. Now Jeremy's the guy behind like the SQL Gem and the Rota Gem and Rodoff and you know all the things there. But yeah. he's also a Ruby core committer and he's been specifically targeting the things around uh, memory allocation and things like that. And mm. you know um, a couple of things that he mentioned, not all of them. This isn't an exhaustive list, but the main point he was making about memory allocations and you can go listen to get all the details was that a if you clean up the way that ruby does the memory allocations it uses less memory when it runs but the other thing is is if you clean up the way that ruby allocates stuff and remove unneeded allocations you also reduce the need for garbage collection and so you mm -hmm. get a performance gain because you're not garbage collecting as often or as much and uh you know there, there were other things that came out of it and you go listen to the interview because we talked about all that stuff but uh, that affects things. Um, I talked to some people about types in Ruby. I'm still on the fence as to whether I feel like we even need them. But um, I kind of came around on some other things like uh, 
keyword parameters and stuff. So I, I could be convinced on this. I just have to mm-hmm. see it in action and it has to make my life better. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I actually have. And then uh, YJIT is the other biggie. What, which one? YJIT. What so that's that? the ju- just in time compiling for Ruby. So oh, effectively, yeah. the way that it typically works in most systems is the just in time compiler, if you run the same thing more than, you know, let's say a uh, hundred times. I don't know what their threshold is. Then what mm-hmm. it does is it grabs that code and it compiles it to a binary that it can execute more more efficiently and then runs that instead. And so yeah. um, that speeds up your your thing. And so I and I can't remember which interview it was, but somebody mentioned specifically that they they were running like different Ruby versions and different you know with a parser and things like that and um you know, for, for a certain level of of uh, testing and benchmarking, it didn't make a difference whether YJIT was on or not. But once you hit that threshold where it kicked in, right, then then the overall time, the more times you run whatever that is, it gets really, really fast. And so mm-hmm. um, anyway, that's really interesting. And I think the major change between um, Ruby 3.2 and 3.3 was that um, 3.2 you can you you have to compile with the YJIT flag and then tell it to run with the YJIT flag in order to mm-hmm. take advantage of the just time compiler. And in 3.3, um, you still can turn YJIT on with the flag or your program can turn it on for you. And so if you're running a gem or something that knows that it can take advantage of YJIT, it can tell Ruby, I need the JIT on and it'll turn it on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No. So basically, Ruby is kind of it has improvements around like mm-hmm. style. It has it being a mature language. Like to sum up mm-hmm. what you said, it starts adding new maybe philosophies or mm-hmm. um, yeah, like type types, for example, right? Yeah, and this is the natural kind of development of mature languages where for example java very type focused language it will start to get more dynamic elements ruby being very dynamic it gets more more of types so people can do more things uh, where they're suited and i actually have a case for for types i want to talk about with you uh, in a bit um but i think i'm thinking a bit about types lately so Mm -hmm. um, yeah talk about this real quick but the other and the other one is like speed um, yeah improvements and efficiency and stuff like that so ruby yeah. is basically i don't know how many core developers they are but they're working all, all year long to to give us some improvements yeah. there on the 24th yeah. of december right <laughs> yeah yeah we always get it for christmas um, one other one that I'm just going to give a mention to is Samuel Williams talked about the concurrency stuff he's doing with the async gem and Falcon, which is a web server that works off of what async does. And he's done a ton of work on like fiber schedulers and stuff, which is more in the mm-hmm. concurrency realm. And so yeah. if you have more cores and you have more, right, it gives you better capabilities of uh, swapping threads on a, on a single process or, you know, taking advantage of what your system offers you yeah, in, yeah, in a yeah. lot of cases. So, yeah. Right. Which speaks to performance. It's just not 
linear performance right now it's okay i can do parallel performance yeah yeah and this also goes into the other thing that i wanted to talk about uh in the api space mm -hmm. so again like a lot of people start their businesses and then um they with rails and it works and they're successful right and then people want to integrate with them they want to mm -hmm. serve their customers or they want to uh, or their customers want to do automations with the data and like right to that here and all that stuff so all of a sudden you need a public api and the rails defaults they often lack the awesome experience of uh, something like fast API in Python. And we're getting back to Python uh, all mm -hmm. the time, it seems like, but Python <laughs> the Python ecosystem does a lot of things in a very right. good way. And it's very well supported because like this fast API thing is used by so many people. Uh -huh. And uh, basically what fast API is offering is that you spin up an API um, and it's like it has all the standards that a public API would want to rely on like input mm -hmm. validations, response schema, right. uh, it's fast and it's fast by uh, doing this async stuff um, basically by threats like you said. Right. And um, all of this and then like documentation auto-generated automatically mm -hmm. um, based on how you write your code. So your code basically defines how the documentation will be generated. Right. So you don't have this duplication of here's my documentation, here's my code, and then right. I get out of thing all the time. Um, and I was looking for this technology in the Ruby and Rails space for a long time for for a long time. And I thought, hey, maybe you can throw some gems together and it will be great. But Mm -hmm. Ruby and Rails being the languages and the web framework of the web, so to say, um, they don't have this. So I think this is one area where we could also, um, using our philosophy of like productivity and um, yeah, being great at web development. We could apply this to to this spinning up APIs as well, um, mm -hmm. or maybe even make Rails awesome in doing this. That's like my my vision for the right for the Rails and Ruby future. It's something that I would like to to work on as well in the future. And there, like uh, fibers would help, types mm -hmm. would help. I think yep. because. This is how... Um, right, yeah, type annotations and then you know what to expect. Exactly. This is how fast API does this. Um, and you don't need to use them everywhere, but mm -hmm. you can plug them in here for the API yeah. and um, make it all kind of agree on the contract with your customer. Yeah. Typeprof does some of that too. So. Typeprof. Yeah. Is this a gem to do types? Yes, it. But it it doesn't require type annotations. It just looks at your Ruby code and then infers types. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's all kinds of awesome stuff. Um, yeah, 
I know that APIs are not like the biggest core of everyone's development uh, because like Rails developers. It depends on what you're building, but yeah. Yeah. It's a lot of times it's on the side, um, mm -hmm. but in the end, why wouldn't we want to compete with fast API? And fast API yeah. is like, um, crazily sought after and used by by a lot of companies maybe less by like startups and more by those uh -huh. microservice guys who have a lot of apis and they need to spin up one here one here and then everything yeah but that's different it is it is yeah that's not really like the world we find ourselves in so we in that space i would see something that can plug them into a Existing mm -hmm. Rails app. Yep, yep, absolutely. Um, I mean, what you're talking about sounds a little bit like Grape API, or maybe you could extend it a little bit to get some of that. What you're talking about with the documentation and things. And Grape API is actually it goes in that direction for sure. It has a lot of code as configuration, mm -hmm. and it also. It doesn't support, for example, Open API three. So um, right, yeah, that that would be another step to take there. It's not as much code as code turned into documentation, but it's more right. like I write this DSL, I write this um, right. thing out, I write my API out by hand, and then like generates the docs. And mm -hmm. Fast API has this more entangled in there. Right. Yeah, well, the thing that I've seen, too, is that Ruby tends to borrow a lot of great ideas from other stuff. I mean, we invent our own, too, for sure, but um, it wouldn't shock me at all to see something like this come along. And in fact, I've looked at other ecosystems and been inspired to put stuff together on my own. Um, for example, essentially, um, I was inspired by both DHH talking about Rails being the one-person framework, and then looking at the stuff, if you go to laravel.com for the Laravel framework, they've got yeah. like all of these pieces that you can stick into your app. And I'm just sitting there going, if we had this for Rails, it would be killer because then it's, okay, I want to build a SaaS for, um, I don't know, I keep thinking podcasters. So SaaS for podcasters, right? And so um, that means I don't necessarily, I'm not thrilled about building the building the billing. I'm not thrilled about build, building the, marketing stuff i'm not thrilled right i want to build the stuff that helps podcasters and so by providing yeah. engines in rails for all of those things and making it okay i spent the first couple of days setting up you know all six of the engines that do all of the business functions that i need and then i just use their apis to deliver the right <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right? yeah yeah yeah, yeah. So, that, yeah so that's that's the kind of thing and we we all do it we all borrow from other places and and make that work. And so, yeah, I could see somebody coming along and saying, or maybe it's you, right? See somebody coming along and saying, hey, I'm going to build this API engine based on what I see from Fast API and yeah. provide it to Rubyists. Yeah. And th since you mentioned Laravel, I think this guy was on a, on a podcast. I also think it was Remote Ruby, maybe. And he ta talked about how he created Laravel. And if I'm not completely wrong, it was also a similar story where he checked out how Rails does it 
Mm-hmm. And not necessarily the code, he said. It's more like, what's the interface? And then I'll right. just build it in Laravel and maybe yep. because it's great. Uh, yeah. So, um, I have a good friend that he, he kept trying to convince me to switch to Laravel. And he would come <laughs> to me and the, like the first time we just sat down and he's like, he's like, I don't know why you're doing the Ruby stuff because Laravel has this, 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 and this. And I said, Ruby stole this and invented that, 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 and that. <laughs> right. <laughs> Rails did. Right. And I'm yeah. like, I'm like, so, you know, I, I, I already have all of those things. And so every once in a while he'd come up and he'd be like, what about this? Does Rails do this? And, you know, most of the time the answer was, yeah. <laughs> you know, so anyway. But at the same time, I mean, there are a lot of people that were looking for a solution like PHP. And for a long time, PHP's performance specs were better than Ruby's. I don't know that that's necessarily, it may still be the case, but I don't know if it's a big enough difference to matter. Hmm. And so anyway, but yeah, but yeah so you're, you're right. It, it all gets borrowed and reused, but you know, that's good for everybody. Yeah. And it's also the trend that we are seeing yeah. with Langchain or whatever other tools are being created, right? We borrow yeah. from each other and then, yeah do the thing and that's also part of the future of ruby yep so you've talked about or you, we started with the uh, ruby and rails community what, what was your second thing and have we kind of veered into it yet or not yeah, yeah that was the, the api thing um, Oh, okay and yeah by the way like the community in general all the meetups and uh-huh. Um, conferences, they start to appear again here and oh, there. Yeah. Even, even in Barcelona, we have uh, a meetup. It was already dead before two, 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 2020. Mm-hmm. Um, and now they have like, also their first meetup. And yeah, it's nice to see right. all those groups and conferences popping up. You are also contributing to this a big bunch. Um, getting us <laughs> together to these summits and yeah all that stuff so that's pretty nice in terms of the yeah. high level community stuff yeah there there are a ton of conferences out there and it's it, it is it's really exciting i'm thinking about reviving i guess i can't revive it because mike said he's done and he also said he's not gonna sell anyone the intellectual collateral for the conference but I'd love to do another Ruby conference here in Salt Lake. Hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I would be reviving Mountain West Ruby conference, but I'd have to call it something else. Well, yeah. why not? Why not? Yeah. Well, I, I have all this other stuff going on, but I, I think it'd be amazing. So, yeah, this will take some weeks of your time. That's, yeah. that's, that's for sure. Yep. Super cool. Well, anything else that you're seeing out there in the Ruby community that people should be thinking about? Or I think that's uh, what my mind circles around. Um, awesome. Yeah. These are the well, then why don't you tell people where to find you on the internet? I'm richstone.io or .io everywhere on mm-hmm. the internet because my awesome. last name... It's more difficult, so Bridgestone, and you'll find me. Very cool. Well, we'll try and get those links into the show notes, uh, you know, to your Twitter and 
blog and everything. Uh, thanks for coming, Rich. Cool. Thank you, man. All right. Uh, I'm going to wrap us up. Until next time, Max out.